Please open your Bibles with me once more to John chapter 13. John chapter 13, we studied from this chapter last week. We'll be studying from it this week as well, and next week we'll move on to John chapter 14. But for now, we're in John chapter 13 once more. This morning we'll be focusing in on verse 31 through 35 of John chapter 13. Simple reminder that uh, this passage is Christ preparing his disciples for his death and for his ascension into heaven afterwards. Hear the word of the Lord. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would fit our minds to this task of understanding the glory of Christ, understanding his temporary departure, and understanding, too, how to love one another, how to rejoice over what you've done for us through unity as a church. We pray, Lord, these things because we know that you care for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Congregation, whenever someone leaves a job after working there for years, whenever someone leaves his friends or his family in order to move somewhere else or in order to go to a long journey, often this person will host a very special event. They'll often give a farewell party. And quite often during this event, the host, the person who's leaving for a time, will give some sort of farewell speech. And what do you think that they would put in this speech if they were leaving? Well, you can imagine, I'm sure, that uh, they would put in Uh, reminiscences about the past, things that they've done together as friends, as family, as co-workers. Probably they will continue to, to speak about the things that they hope and plan to do in the future. They'll give well wishes. But above all things, this speech will be focused in on the love that they have for the people that they're leaving behind. If you were giving a farewell speech, certainly, brothers and sisters, you would wish to convey your love, your care for the people listening. You wouldn't want to leave that place without telling them, I will miss you. I love you. Don't forget me. You wouldn't wish to leave that place without hugging every person there, without shaking their hands, without telling them, without looking in their eyes and saying, I love you. 
You'll want to remind them that even though you're leaving, it doesn't mean that you don't care for them. Beloved congregation, that's exactly what's happening in the passage before us this morning. As Jesus and his disciples gather in the upper room, Jesus begins to give his farewell speech, so to speak. As we saw last week, he started to prepare the disciples, but now that Judas has left, he begins in earnest to speak to the disciples, to prepare them, and to give his farewell speech, to say, I love you. He wants to let them know that things are about to change, to prepare them for what's coming. He wants to let them know that he's about to leave them for a time physically behind. They can't follow now where he's going. But above all, friends, Jesus wants to do one thing for his disciples and for us this morning as we study this passage. He wants to show us the love he has for his own. In doing so, he wants to encourage us to, to love one another for his glory. This is what we'll study this morning. And we begin in verse 31 and 32 with Christ describing his glory. Christ's glory. Look with me at verse 31 and 32. He says, When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Brothers and sisters, let's not kid ourselves here. The circumstances of the final supper are pretty ugly. The surroundings of this last dinner with his disciples are not good circumstances to be in. At least from a, a worldly viewpoint, if we were to look at the moments of Jesus' life as he approaches the cross, these final moments we would see that this passage is in ugly circumstances. The disciples had already shown that they had no clue about the depth of what they were about to face. As we saw last week, Luke tells us during this final supper, the disciples were arguing over who was the greatest. And during this, this supper, Jesus had honored one of the disciples, perhaps above almost any other, only to reveal that this man, a man the disciples had known for years, a man that the disciples had walked with, eaten with, cared for, a man they thought beyond suspicion, this man, this Judas, was to betray Jesus. To make matters worse, Jesus knew that in a few mere hours he would be arrested, taken to his enemies, tried, falsely convicted, spit on, beaten, flogged, mocked, and ultimately killed. In only a few hours, all of his disciples, his every friend, would flee. One of them was so afraid that he would flee naked to get away from the presence of his Lord. Peter, one of his greatest disciples, will deny him three times, once at least with cursing and blasphemy. Only a few days later, Thomas, again one of his closest disciples, will demonstrate his unbelief by doubting the resurrection. If we were to look at this situation with worldly eyes, simply looking at the physical matters, we would call this situation bleak. 
In fact, that would be an understatement. From a human perspective, there is no hope for this situation. It should surprise us then that after Judas the traitor leaves their presence, the very first words out of Jesus' mouth are, Now is the Son of Man glorified. Now is the Son of Man glorified? And not only does he say this, but he continues on. He speaks of glory after glory after glory. In all, depending on your translation, he refers to glory either four or five times in the span of these two verses. He speaks of the glory of the Son. He says, now is the Son of Man glorified. He speaks of the glory of the Father, saying, and God is glorified in him. He speaks of the glory that will come in the future. God will also glorify him in himself. He speaks of the glory as something which is about to take place. God will glorify him immediately. Something which happens even as he speaks. That the Son of Man is glorified. Now Jesus knows that the disciples are about to face the worst moments of their lives. And so in his love for the disciples, he doesn't allow them to consider simply the surface level of what's going on. Instead, he draws them beyond. He wishes to make them to look at more than the physical circumstances, to point them away from the external ugliness, to make them examine the glory of what's actually taking place. Yes, Jesus is about to die. But brothers and sisters, in his dying, Jesus was about to be glorified. Now, we should understand the seriousness of Jesus' death. We should never take it lightly. Jesus' death was the greatest injustice of history by far. It was the greatest act of rebellion against God. It was the greatest darkness, proves the greatest darkness of man, his hatred for the light. As John chapter 1 says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness understood it not. More than any event in history, this portrays the ugliness of man. But it was more than that as well. Brothers and sisters, Jesus' death was the greatest moment of justice in history. For Christ paid for the sins of every one of his elect perfectly. It was the greatest act of obedience towards God. It was the most perfect demonstration of the light of God shining in the darkness. His power, his love, his beauty. Jesus does not want his death to be thought of as a failure, friends. He wants us to think of it as his glory because it is the greatest demonstration of his glory to us when Christ went to the cross from eternity past the father and the son had it covenanted among each other to save sinful man and upon this cross Christ was demonstrating love mercy justice all of his glory, and for this reason, Christ says at one of the darkest moments, at in fact the darkest moment of history, 
now is the Son of Man glorified. For Christ, His glory is in what we would see as shame. Because He was shamed for us. Showed His love for the Father. In doing the Father's will and glorifying Him. For this reason, the Father is glorified. It showed His great love for His disciples in sacrificing Himself for them. And for this reason, He is glorified. And in only a few days, Christ, after dying on the cross, was to be resurrected. And for this reason, the Father was to glorify Christ. Glory upon glory upon glory. Christ does not want His disciples to be discouraged by the coming of His death. Calvin uh, puts it this way, and I I wish to merely summarize his words, but that Jesus knew that if the disciples went and saw the cross without knowing what was to follow, they would be utterly swept away a hundred times. For even us, when we read of the cross, how deep is it and how terrifying to us to watch our Savior upon the cross. So Christ wishes to comfort them. To say, my death is not a death of terror. It is a death of glory. Christ wishes to comfort His believers. So you, brothers and sisters, when you see the cross when you look upon our Savior upon that tree, do not think of Christ's death as if He were a hapless victim, as if He were simply in the wrong place at the wrong time. But in His death, brothers and sisters, see His glory. See His love for you. That He would walk to the cross and all the while that it was His greatest glory. But at the same time, brothers and sisters, Jesus doesn't want the disciples to be misinformed. His glory would indeed come at a cost, specifically at the cost of his departure. And this is what we see in the second place, Christ's departure. Christ's departure in verse 33. Congregation Jesus recognized he was about to leave the disciples even as Jesus' death, resurrection, and return to the Father was to bring Him glory, nonetheless, it was to spell out some pain for His disciples. So Jesus breaks this news with great care. He treats the disciples very tenderly. He speaks kindly to them. Look at verse 33 and see how how sweetly He speaks to them. He says, Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Do you see how Christ speaks to his own? He calls them here little children. This is the only place in the Gospels that Jesus calls his disciples that. The term only occurs a few times in Scripture, but every place it occurs, it's a term of endearment. Jesus calls them little children. 
He's pointing out that they're new believers, ultimately. Young and inexperienced. Naive to what's going on in the world. But beyond that, Jesus calls them little children to show them he loves them. Just like a father loves his children. Just as a father cares tenderly for his own, speaks sweetly to them, so Jesus addresses his disciples. Little children, yet a little while I'm with you. Jesus tells them he has a little while with them. He wants them to treasure these final moments that they have together. And he reminds them furthermore that they should be prepared for this. That he has spoken of his departure before. He's publicly proclaimed his death. He says, as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. Jesus had told the world about his departure months before. In fact, Jesus had told the Jews on two separate occasions that he was leaving, in John chapter 7 and John chapter 8. It's not as if the disciples were hearing something new. Yet, even when he breaks this news to them, in the love he has for them, he cannot leave them without something to cling to, a hope a joy, a promise for the future. And this is something we might not notice immediately when we see this passage. There is a difference between what Jesus publicly proclaimed to the Jews and what Jesus is saying in this passage. Jesus here says, you will seek me, verse 33 once more, where I am going, you cannot come. Compare what he says to what he says in John chapter 7 and 8, when he speaks to the unbelieving Jews. You can leave your Bibles open in John 13. I'll read the passages. You can compare what Jesus says here with what he says in John chapter 7 and John chapter 8. John chapter 7, verse 33 and 34, he says, I will be with you a little while longer, and then I go to him who sent me. You will seek me and not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. In John chapter 8, he says it even more strongly to the unbelieving Jews. I am going away. You will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. Congregation, what's the difference between what John sa- or Jesus says to the Jews and what Jesus says to us? Jesus says to the Jews, you will seek me and you will not find me. You will die in your sins. But to the disciples, he simply says, where I'm going, you cannot come. What John wishes to remind us of implicitly here is that if you seek Christ, you will find him. That there will come a time when now we cannot be with Christ physically, But there will come a time when we can be indeed with him. Tonight we'll see this a little bit, and next week in more detail. For he speaks to Peter and he says, You cannot be with me now, but you will be with me afterward. Brothers and sisters, Christ wishes to let the disciples know that he is indeed leaving them. But there will come a time when we can be with Him. 
there will come a time when we can be in His presence. Do you see Christ's love for His disciples here? How tenderly He treats them. How He would have them know that there will come a day, though He is departing from them, that they will see Him again. Brothers and sisters, let this be our encouragement. When we consider the love of Christ, know that this farewell is not a final farewell. That the love of Christ extends beyond His return to the Father and that there will be a day, if you are in Christ, brothers and sisters, when you will see Him once more. There will come a day when we will be with Christ. Finally, however, brothers and sisters, Christ leaves us with the command to love one another. And this is the final thing we see in this passage. Christ's command. Christ's command. And we see this in verse 34 and verse 35. Look with me there. He says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Brothers and sisters, yes, Christ was to leave them physically for a time. As we'll see in the coming week, he was not to leave them orphans, but he was to leave them physically for a time. And so he wishes to leave them not alone, but together. He wants them to be built up together, to work together, to grow together, to love one another. And so he says here, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Now certainly this wasn't, in in the end of things, a new commandment. They had heard this command spoken of before, but Christ wants to apply it once more to their hearts. He wants them to be reminded, yes, Christ is leaving. He is to be glorified. And so, as we wait for His return, let us love one another in His love, in the love He had in going to the cross. And so He commands them, and He commands us, brothers and sisters, to love one another, to care for one another. Then, brothers and sisters, how ought we to do this? If it is the case that Christ here commands us, well, how do we love one another? The passage tells us in great detail, in fact. First of all, Jesus says we are to love one another. Just as we saw last week when Christ was washing the disciples' feet, he then said that they ought to serve one another, so too, he says, we ought to love one another. Our love ought to be one which is focused in on the church. Now, Christ does speak of loving those outside of the church. He says, love those who hate you. Pray for those who persecute you. But here he focuses in on the disciples and truly hounds this point home. Judas, the traitor, has left. These disciples are true to him, though they are weak. 
in their faith. And he says, love one another. So brothers and sisters, when we are here as a church, and when we are apart through the week, let our love be for one another in the church. It's easy to often gather in cliques after church is done, to, to find our friends, to go to only those whom, whom are they're the most special ones to us, and then to kind of tolerate the rest and maybe ask them how they're doing now and then, and that's, that's the end of the story. So often our love for those in the church does, does not go any deeper than that. Brothers and sisters, Christ wants us here to love one another because he'll be apart from us, physically speaking. Our love should not be then for only certain people in the church. Our love should not only be skin deep. It should be a love for all of Christ's people. For Christ commands us here, love one another. Second of all, just as we saw last week with Jesus bending down to wash the feet, so too Jesus once more returns to a sacrificial love. And he commands them to a love that's sacrificial. He says once more in verse 34 and 35, Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Just as Christ loved us, we're to love one another. Can you imagine the depth of love that Christ shows for his disciples in this passage? And then he turns around and he says, As I have loved you, love one another. He's stepping to the cross, about to give his life for his own. He has stepped down from the throne in heaven. And he says, As I have loved you, love one another. As John chapter 13 verse 1 says, He loved His own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. And now He says once more, As I have loved you, love one another. Brothers and sisters, let our love be a sacrificial love. A love which places others first. A love which finds its glory in sacrifice. A love which does not, does not let ourselves place ourselves first. If we are in Christ, if we have seen what Christ has done for us, let our love be sacrificial as well. Finally, brothers and sisters, Christ speaks to his disciples and he speaks of this love as one which is in evangelizing love. In evangelizing love, he says in verse 35, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This one thing, the passage tells us above nearly everything else, demonstrates that we are his that we are his disciples, that we belong to him, that we love one another. If we were to look through the history of the church, brothers and sisters, we would find that this is the case. Some of the first mentions of Christians, 
throughout history, the Romans and the Greeks were scratching their heads and saying, these people have love for one another. They care for each other. They don't bicker in the way that we do. C.S. Lewis says that even while he was an atheist, something that terrified him about the church was the unity that they had, the care that they had for each other. And so too, brothers and sisters, Christ calls us to love one another as a way to demonstrate our belonging to him, that we are his disciples. When we are together as a church, then, brothers and sisters, one of the best ways we can share the gospel is by the way we show love for one another. That our friends and our family, our co-workers, those who, who don't know Christ, will see the love we have for one another and say, there's something different about these people. These aren't like the rest of the world. They love each other. Brothers and sisters, have you seen the love of Christ? Would you share it to those who do not know him? Would you show the glory of Christ who walked to the cross, his love for his own to the world? Then let this be your prayer, that you love one another just as Christ loved the church. And as we wait for Christ to return, brothers and sisters, let us demonstrate that love that Christ had for us. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this morning praising you for your glory, for your wondrous beauty, praising you that even though you left to be with the Father at the right hand, you have not left us behind as orphans. Indeed, you have promised that there comes a time when we will be with you, and indeed we can be in and with you now. We pray that we would seek your presence. We pray that we would seek your glory, and we pray, Lord, above all this morning, that you would teach us to love one another for what Christ has done for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.